Welcome back on uh, Top 25 Voter Pod. With me, as always, are Chad Conine and John Werner. Gentlemen, how we doing? Good, man. Got in pretty late last night, but doing all right. Good deal. Chad? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I didn't sleep much last night either, but, you know. Different reason. Huh? It's a different reason. Yeah, well, you know, when you got it, when you're covering a ch- conference championship game and then and then your team plays after that, that's a lot to wind down from. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, when when I, you know, the fact that I went to a, an arena where I saw John Denver 44 years ago, <laughs> I had I had some Rocky Mountain high like uh, you know, like swimming in my head. Yeah, but John, you need to be careful. That means something different now. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal in, in the Rocky Mountains. I think uh, it probably meant the same thing back then. <laughs> All right, well, we're, we're starting off off the rails, but uh, let's talk some Big 12 basketball. So, um, Chad, after uh, the Baylor women started out 0-2 in the Big 12, Nikki Collins' team turned it around. Um, ended up clinching a share of the uh, Big 12 championship with a road win at Iowa State yesterday uh, as we record the podcast, uh, Monday night. Um, so you're going to address some of this in a column that you're you're writing, but uh, what do you feel like has kind of come together for uh, for the Baylor women? And do you feel like, you know, they're a threat to make a deep NCAA run? Well, you know, I mean, Nalissa opened up a little bit. Nalissa Smith opened up a little bit more last night, maybe than anybody really has about the process that the players went through when Kim Mulkey left. And then, you know, and then Nikki Collin was hired. And, you know, she said that she and, and Queen and, and Caitlin Bickle really, you know, talked about it, prayed about it, things like that. And, and they decided to, you know, to stick it out and be here. And, and she said she really likes the result and she feels like they deserve it. And it's hard to argue that point because, I mean, sitting there at 0-2 for whatever reason, I think a lot of people thought that they were really shaky. I, I think I maintained the whole time that I thought they would have a chance to win the conference one of the last couple of weeks of the season rolled around because they're just too talented of a roster. I mean, they're a much more talented roster than anybody else in the Big 12. You know, Iowa State has some nice players, um, you know, s- some really good shooters. Uh, Texas has some some good younger players and, and, and you know, a top-notch coach, I think, in Vic Schaefer, although he's kind of been a little bit um, uh, wobbly lately, a little bit kind of out there some of the time. But, um, but anyway, uh, Baylor had the roster all along, and it's not like they were ever playing bad. It's just that they weren't playing great up until, you know, they beat Kansas in that game uh, up, up at Lawrence Fieldhouse. And, um, and then, you know, just started, started to click. I think beating Iowa State as badly as they did the first time around really helped them build momentum. Now they've won 14 out of 15. And, uh, you know, Melissa Smith just uh, – Almost quietly, although I don't know how you could say scoring 30 points a night and 12 to 15 rebounds. I mean, she's always been the same player, but 
she's moved up to that number one pick spot, you know, in the, in the WNBA mock drafts. And I think probably a lot of women's college basketball was watching that game last night and she really was impressive. So, you know, Nalissa choosing to stay, I made the point in the column, she could have been like a lot of these NBA guys and picked her spot and made it a super team, you know, this year. Mm. And, you know, she didn't. Um, And she was clearly the MVP of that game last night. I think we had the discussion last week about who the player of the year in the conference is. And I don't think there's any doubt anymore. No, there is no doubt. Uh, I was going to make that point too. I mean, she goes for 28 and 20 in a clinching game and basically they just had no answer for her. She did it in every kind of fashion. She faced up. She, you know, she occasionally did, you know, some back to the basket stuff. She had a really nice uh, dream shake in the move mm-hmm. in the lane. That was sweet. But well, that's another point that uh, I made in the column is that the NBA, I mean, the ESPN announcers want to talk about how, you know, she could play any position on the floor and she's expanded her game. And that's a nice compliment. And it's true to a certain extent. But what Nalissa has been this year for Baylor is what Baylor needs her to be, which is her kind of po- like Nalissa Smith as a post player, a face to the basket post player, but also a lot of times, sometimes a, a back to the basket post player, you know, you did sort of uh, gloss over or miss uh, part of that question, which was what are they going to do in the tournament? Oh, how far in the tournament? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, I've got opening day tickets to the Rangers, which may or may not happen for MLB reasons. But if the MLB gets to gets together, that's on the Thursday that I would be traveling to Minneapolis for the final four. And I'm starting to think my chances of going aren't real good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you may be selling those tickets. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's talk about the Baylor men. John, you were down in Austin yesterday uh, closing out the drum. Um, The Bears. They've really dealt with, you know, more injuries than than most teams are accustomed to. Mm. Uh, And, you know, certainly injuries that would have crippled a lot of teams. But they they come back, they put it together, they beat Kansas uh, on Saturday. Two days later, they go to Austin, they beat Texas in a, like I said, in a game that was, you know, right there for the Longhorns in terms of, emotion and like motivation they had the payback factor they had the factor of you know this was the their last game ever at that arena um so you know how has scott drew done this how has he kind of tweaked his rotation and and uh and made this work yeah uh you know i think especially after jonathan chamo chachua went out uh, he, he really, he probably had to put his head together with the rest of the coaching staff. How are we going to deal with all this? So what's happened? Um, I think, okay, all, all seven guys who play are playing more minutes. Uh, Ken Joe and Flagler, their roles haven't changed a lot. Flagler's their best outside shooter. Uh, obviously James, uh, you know, assist guy penetration, now, Matt Meyer, I think, has made a big adjustment. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to the boards harder. He's looking for a shot less. And uh, each of the last two games, he's only taken five shots. But, uh, you know, what he's given them on the boards and, and playing defense has been really strong. Uh, Flo Thamba, he's playing more minutes. Uh, 
he's looking for a shot more. He's mm-hmm. even taking some outside shots. And I think he's going at the boards pretty hard for a guy who, you know, really can't get into foul trouble because they don't have anybody else like that. He got four fouls. No, wait, he had three yesterday, but he played pretty carefully after he got a few fouls. Uh, Kendall Brown is – he's getting more confidence in his outside shot. He, he's helped, uh, you know, a little bit out there by hitting some threes lately. And, of course, he can do everything else. He's he's the best athlete on the team. And Jeremy Sohan has been a major key. I mean, he's playing the five now some, but he's also playing – the three and the four and the two and the one Mm -hmm. he'll bring the ball up sometimes and kind of act as a point guard. Yeah. I mean, his versatility is a real key to this team, especially now with the injuries they've had. Scouts are taking notice too uh, on Sohan. Um, I agree with you on a lot of those points. Uh, I think Sohan has sort of been the X factor and, and certainly they've been going with the flow. Uh, there in the front court, uh, he has stepped up his game. Uh, you know, you guys know that obviously I'm a Houston Rockets fan. And so one of the, uh, Twitter feeds that I follow is this, uh, clutch city. It's a fan site. Um, Mm. uh, they do a lot of, you know, scouting of guys that might, you know, end up on the Rockets or whatever, you know, guys that, uh, could fall in that, that draft, position well the Rockets are going to have a lottery pick and the other day they had a tweet uh and it was taking highlights from Sohan against Kansas and they were saying I think this guy's played his way into the lottery and that's pretty high praise I mean we we actually uh thought that Kendall Brown and, and Sohan would probably be one and done type guys anyway I mean they're that good mm-hmm. um but I do think that um Kendall Brown, I, I feel like, still needs to elevate maybe uh, another level or two, where ha- whereas Sohan's doing that. As right. you mentioned, I mean, he has been leading the break. He's been doing, you know, a, a lot of different things, and um, he's, he's going to make himself some money. Yeah, another thing I'll add, you know, Scott Drew is the most optimistic guy in the world. When you have a situation like this where you have so many guys out, you need that positivity. And I think he's really kept his team up and, you know, just uh, thinking, man, you know, we can still do it. And they're projected to be a number one seed right now. It's amazing. It's, it's uh, pretty incredible because it didn't look like um, that was going to be the trajectory maybe when, when everyday John went out. Um, So more power to him. Um, So guys, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about um, kind of where different teams fall in the Big 12 this year. And uh, so I, I'll phrase this question like this. Um, I play fantasy sports. So a lot of times when you're preparing for a fantasy draft, you break guys down into tiers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, these guys that you'll take at this spot, and then you have another tier down and another tier down. So could we do that with with the conference standings to a certain extent? I mean, is there are there tiers of Big 12 teams, both men and women? Well, I'll, I'll jump in on the men on this first, uh, and I'll address the women as well after. But um, 
You know, it's funny, the beginning of the conference, if you were to say project the tiers, like you said, for your fantasy team, you just said Iowa State, um, Oklahoma, you know, had a shot at being top tier. And at this point, I mean, Iowa State's kind of played its way onto the bubble, I think. Probably a tournament team. Oklahoma's gone the other direction, you know, but I mean, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any question that Kansas, Baylor, and Texas Tech are, you know, separated themselves in a big way. Yeah. Johnny? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, yeah. I, I looked at the standings this morning. Like you said, Kansas, Baylor, Tech, they're up there. Then in the middle, you got Texas, TCU, and Iowa State. And then you kind of have the rest of them. And I think those top six will make it. I don't think those last four will make the tournament. And, you know, to me, Oklahoma's really probably dropped the most. And probably TCU has improved the most, you know, late in the year. So, uh, but yeah, there, there's definitely a tier system there now. When the Big 12 sheds itself of, you know, those uh, sorry Sooners and Longhorns, <laughs> I mean, uh, just imagine the tiers then with, with, Cincy and Houston and, you know, some, some programs that have done well in basketball in recent years. Well, you know, Houston, if Houston were in there this year, I I think their quad one record is like, Oh, and three. And yet their net ranking is still really high right now. So Mm -hmm. it would be a real interesting team to have in the big 12 mix this year. Yeah. And John, I think I saw a stat where Baylor leads the country in quad one wins. Yeah. I believe it's 12 now. Wow, it's impressive. That's almost half their wins. Yeah, Baylor, Tech, and uh, Kansas, they're going to be um, one, two, or three seats. I mean, and and really, uh, you know, one or two sounds about right. You know, I mean, um, they're playing – they're all playing well. Um, so, how about the women? Okay, so – I think it breaks down equally uh, well, although there's maybe a little bit more of a gray area with Kansas State. You know, where where are they now? I mean, they're kind of – they're a little bit like Oklahoma and they faded from where they were in the first maybe third of conference. But, you know, Baylor uh, is starting to look like a, a maybe a potential one seed. You know, if they finish out with the Big 12 Tournament Championship, especially and one of those ACC teams knocks each other off, or loses early in the ACC tournament. Although I kind of think conference tournaments aren't considered real valuable by the committee. Um, but then, you know, you, so you got Baylor, Iowa state, Oklahoma and Texas still there kind of in the top tier on the women's side. And, and I think all four of those are clearly tournament teams and then throw in Kansas as a fifth one. Wait, is that right? My, yeah, that's, that's five, right? Am I counting correctly? Mm-hmm. And I think Kansas State still has a chance maybe to uh, to get in there. Um, right now, um, so Kansas State's net ranking is 35. They are currently 18 and 10. So, yeah, they probably got a pretty good chance. Um, I'm not sure who their last couple of games against are against, although I don't think they're against either Iowa State or Baylor. So getting to 20 wins, you know, with the, on, on the weekend and then the first round of the tournament could really help them. And, that's six Big 12 tournament teams, and that's, that's I mean, a lot more than the women in paddling. Here's what helps K-State in terms of uh, getting in, Ayoka Lee. Having that player on your team, mm-hmm. I, I think the committee 
likes to have big name players. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's the it's the same on the men. Uh, we saw it last year. Wasn't Oklahoma State last year on the men's side kind of a bubble team? They got in uh, because of Cade Cunningham. I mean, people wanted to yeah. see see yeah. what Cade Cunningham would do. Now, while we're talking about the human element to the selection committee, let's talk about something that piqued my interest last night. Bryce, I think you saw this. The NCAA reveal had Baylor going to Wichita, right, as the number two seed. Mm-hmm. Okay. They had LSU going to Spokane as the number two seed. Now, can't we find a way to make those different seeds and so they can be in the same region? Because I don't think America wants to wait to the Final Four to see Kim Mulkey and Baylor. I mean, we don't <laughs> want to take that chance, right? So I was at uh, Baylor Ballpark uh, recently and uh, talking with Mac Rhodes, um, just kind of in the hallway, and we were talking about different things. And uh, at one point, we started talking about the the Baylor women and and you know the job that Nikki was doing with them, and and you know so forth and so on, and. Um, and I actually told Mac, I said, I'm not, I may be the only one. I doubt that I'm the only one, but uh, I really, really want to see <laughs> Baylor and LSU in the same bracket. And Mac, I, maybe I'm uh, ratting him out here, but he said, yeah, I'd like to see that too. <laughs> 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 so, I, I think it's a thing, you know, let's, uh, let's create some drama. This, this is the kind of exciting stuff that uh, people tune in for. It would be the most huge game in the women's basketball tournament. What you say, John? What were you saying? Yeah, it'd be the most viewed uh, game in the women's tournament for sure. Easily, easily. It'd definitely be the most viewed game in the tournament in McLennan County. (laughs) 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 Yeah, uh, and I guess some Baylor fans would probably have to show their their cards a little bit, you know. Are you a are you a Baylor fan? Or are you a <laughs> fan? There you go. So anyway, um, let's close off with this. We had just uh, bananas Saturday <laughs> in college basketball. Seven out of the top ten went down, including one through six. Uh, now, obviously, I think all of those were on the road. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Uh, so you know that that makes a that plays a factor. I mean, it's harder to win on the road. Not uh, only that, probably if I had to guess, and I haven't looked this up specifically, but I know it's true in in at least several of the cases. You're talking about a team that lost on the road at that at that top ranked team's place the first time around conference. Mm-hmm. Right. So okay. they get to scout how they lost that game, then come home and play them again at the end of February. And that's sort of a recipe for a top a win against the top mm-hmm. 10. Right. Well, yeah. that's kind of my question. I mean, what what do you guys attribute this to? Is it, as Chad said, just knowing the team a little bit better? The second. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they got a better scout on them. And like Chad said, uh, they've probably got some motivation because they lost the first game on the road to the other team. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of parody, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I think with the transfer portal, teams are getting stronger in the power conferences. Uh, you see a lot more veterans, um, you, you know, you're not seeing a whole lot of freshmen across the board. Uh, you, you're seeing guys who are in fourth, fifth, 
some six deer guys. So uh, I think that's part of it too. Certainly uh, benefited the Baylor Bears who went from 10 <laughs> to three in the poll. That is a jump you don't see a lot late in the year. Oh, gosh. No. You know, most years, uh, you know, they get a big win like they did against Kansas. They probably would have maybe moved up two or three spots. Mm-hmm. Seven was crazy. It was crazy. They kind of remind me of, uh, I think it was John Lovitz in the film, The Wedding Singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he's he's, he's a, like another wedding singer and Adam... Adam uh, Sandler. Uh, Adam, Adam Sandler's character is starting to like come unhinged, and John Lovett's character goes, "He's losing his mind, and I'm reaping all the benefits." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my evil plan no, I mean, coming together. Seven of the top nine lose, and and, and Baylor, oh, so which Baylor has done a fantastic job of keeping afloat here mm-hmm. and not sinking back to like you know third or fourth or fifth in the conference right yeah yeah. but for them to jump to 10 to three based on beating kansas on your home floor you know and when when look at how many teams beat a top team a top 10 team on their home floor you know michigan state did it tcu did it st mary's did it i mean but that's what happens and john and i both vote and and you I make my markings here and there and I go, well, this team's got to go up and this team's got to go down. And when seven teams have to go down, you know, theoretically, somebody's got to go up that much. And that's what Baylor did. It was a perfect storm for them. It really was. But I will also say the point that you make, John, about parody is a, is a fair one. And I know we've talked about it a lot, but um, what, what is Baylor's record now? 23 and five, Uh, 25 and five, 25 and five. They have five losses, and we're sitting here talking about them potentially being a one seed. And I think that speaks to because that's that's not necessarily normal either. Um, but usually the the one seeds are like you know twenty eight and two or something yeah. like, something like that. But I, I just feel like uh, you know nowadays teams are going to lose a few more games. So right. I mean, maybe Gonzaga is the exception. Last year, they were rolling along pretty well, but um, well, even Gonzaga, you know, right? They uh, they fell uh, Saturday. Yeah, and and they've got three losses, right? They mm-hmm. had two in non-conference, and now they lost to St. Mary's. So, yeah, and I think I saw a tweet that said, you know, Gonzaga is going to go four and three against ranked teams, and um, and end up being a one seed. And it was a little bit of a dig at Gonzaga. Uh, but four and well, three really, is, I mean, is not that bad. How do, how do you evaluate? Because I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll show my, my uh, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit on what I'm thinking and how I think about things and, and, and my bias toward Texas Tech. I'll just go ahead and admit it. <laughs> but if you go win by win, like quality win by win, I, I feel like I could make the argument Texas Tech has a better resume than Baylor even though they're going to finish one spot back in, in the standings um, and, and have fewer overall wins and fewer conference wins, their, you know, their wins. And honestly, I mean, Texas Tech is a, an Obagi three-pointer in overtime away from having swept Kansas and Baylor and being in first place right now, despite losing on the road at TCU and at Kansas State. Yeah, and 
the point you make about, um, I, I think who you are, your brand name, uh, that plays into the human element of all of this for, for voters and for the committee. And mm-hmm. uh, I saw the other day where uh, Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter put up basically the resumes of three men's basketball teams. And uh, one of them was North Carolina. I can't remember. Is is Kentucky sort of middle of the road this year? Uh, um, oh, they're good. Okay, they're, they're good. They're I can't remember. Yeah. The other one was another blue blood. Mm-hmm. And the third one was TCU. Okay. Mm-hmm. And TCU uh, if you just kind of took their resume and like who they've beaten and stuff, uh, theirs was as impressive as North Carolina and this other team that I can't remember, but it was, it was a blue blood, you know, Mm -hmm. um, maybe it was UCLA or somebody, but Michigan might've been anyway. The point is when you look, when you strip everything away, you just look at the resumes. I think the bracket comes out a lot different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'll make another point about that from the Baylor, Texas Tech perspective. And, you know, congratulations to Baylor for sweeping Chris Beard for the third straight season, by the way. I'll just go ahead and <laughs> offer that up. <laughs> but Baylor is going to get the, the Fort Worth, the San Antonio route, probably. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure they'll sell a lot of tickets to Baylor folks. But it's nothing like the sea of red that they would have if they put Texas Tech in the Fort Worth, the San Antonio that's true. Yeah. I, I mean, it speaks to the size of the schools and the and the size of the fan bases. I mean, mm-hmm. Baylor's not not quite as big, but um, they did show out that time they were in the Elite Eight in Houston. That was oh, pretty, yeah, that was pretty incredible, honestly. Well, go go look at how Texas Tech fans showed up in Minneapolis in Final Four and Anaheim. You know that year. And Austin this year, right? And and just imagine what, what kind of crowd they might have at the Alamo Dome. But, you know, hopefully I can stir the pot and get us a few more uh, viewers here with that. <laughs> well, uh, please join us again next week on Red Raider Weekly. Uh, <laughs> break down the specifics of, uh, what's his name, O'Bannon shot. <laughs> anyway all right good stuff uh thanks for joining us everyone hope y'all enjoyed it